0: Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Cap and Trade. I am your host, Texans Cap. You can follow me on Twitter, at Texans Cap, if you prefer the written form capandtrade.substack.com welcome into the live show everybody i'm really excited got a lot to get to tonight hopefully our our guests will be along here soon um but we've got a lot to cover tonight man it's been a busy what two weeks now of free agencies so as it's you know and as always with the houston texans and nick casario they're always got a ton of ton of signings going so we'll kind of roll through some of those here shortly got a lot of different topics to get through if you got any questions comments throw them up on the board we'll get to as much as we can good to see you dalton love the support man appreciate it john good to see you as always man good to see you and it looks like our guest just rolled into the room so we'll get jason on here in just a second good evening Hey, moderate texan good to see you bud um but yeah so lot to get to we'll get Jason on here so Jason is the owner of overthecap.com and so on that I lean on routinely so we'll bring him on here good evening sir
1: all right can you hear me
0: i can hear you <laughs> there we
1: go we'll we'll see if this actually holds up our the, uh, this optimum stuff over here has been it's been a nightmare the last uh, couple of months we were supposed to get everything switched over and they showed up and the guy said
0: uh we think we can do it but not today so all right oh no and you're, you're stuck with like one internet provider or something
1: yeah pretty much we're in one of those areas where you, you're just locked into everything
0: for cable internet and pretty much everything else yeah such as life um, yeah no great good to good to finally chat with you man i, I was trying to figure back how long I've you know that we've been doing this back and forth and you know how long we've been helping out on over the cap and you know we just never had a chat like this for i don't know how many years now it's it's been but it's good to finally at least get face to face yeah us. it's been uh it's been quite some time uh you
1: know that's pretty much the way that i i guess a lot of this stuff works you know you you kind of make in and and uh, you talk a lot on twitter and email and uh you know, don't don't do as much stuff kind of in person or anything like that I, i'm going to say the the only the time i probably spoke at all um, maybe a Twitter Spaces. You might have asked a question or something during that when I, I ran a Twitter Spaces once or twice. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, a while ago, and yeah. I would say that's that's probably about the only time. Um, you know, Nick. Uh, I've never met Nick in person either. Really? Uh, okay. With him on the phone once or twice. Yeah. Um, I who's helped out. Obviously, I've met Brad through two lane competitions and yeah. uh, going out to the combine and uh, some things like that. Um. But yeah, a lot of the people through the years who have done stuff on OTC. It's uh, a lot of times it's just maybe one phone call in there, and a lot of emailing and a lot of Twitter stuff
0: that, uh, yeah, that goes no, on. I, I, I mean, I've always appreciated you know the generosity that you provide, and you've always been grateful and willing to to answer my 18 million questions over the probably the last six seven years of because <laughs> uh, I started doing this in 2011. And that's probably about the time I started bugging you, so we're probably ten years into our our relationship at this point <laughs>
1: yeah, it's probably it's probably around that um, yeah.
0: you know i w- I would guess
1: that was the yeah. uh you know the, the early social media days um you know the, there was a couple of us that did the salary cap stuff, so it was kind of it, it was easy to meet people um you know and start to talk with them about these these kind of things yeah. and uh know kind of get into it so you know it's it's been kind of cool uh with the the kind of people that you meet and you know the different impacts i guess that that we have doing the stuff at otc and uh you know just helping people out understand the stuff a little bit better
0: yeah no i i've forged some great relationships not only with our chats you know with ian and and brian and miguel and a lot of the other folks ken and galls who does this for the packers and you know you meet different people and they're all just they're all just super smart and just willing to to absorb as much information as they can get their hands on it. Sean Borman up in Minnesota just loves asking questions and I'm, you know, I try to answer as best as I can and it's, it's just fun. And I still, to this day, I still learn new things, you know, and it's, it's always fun to learn something new, even though, however long we've been doing this, but so anyhow, so we'll move on. So I, you know, like I said, I appreciate you coming on. a lot lot to get to we'll try to get squeeze in what we can and like i said if you're if you're watching listening in make sure you hit that like and subscribe button if you got any questions throw them up on the board we'll try to get to what we can but free agency big old dud now yeah quantity wise <laughs> as always with houston with nick casario quantity wise i think he may have jumped back into the lead with his latest round of signings with uh, oh. another four signings this past uh, 24 hours and <laughs> <laughs> keeps me busy um i do i do miss the golden days of of chris olsen and rick smith and their contract simplicity and nick loves incentives and per gamers and everything in between so keeps me on my feet but uh yeah it was a big old it was big old dud and that was to be expected you know this free agency class was talked about for weeks and months leading up that this was just going to be a, a pretty quiet one by by all means comparison and i don't know if that's a function of this specific group or if it's just the teams are starting to catch up on their salary cap from the COVID, from the, the pandemic years, and they're able to retain more players. Maybe it's a mixture of both, but do you have any insight or thoughts of why this one was just so bad by comparison to I, the previous years? I think
1: it's a, I think it's a combination of both. And I, I think it probably just pairs up with a year that happened to be kind of a down draft, um, you know, the, the guys they wanted to keep, uh you know, they, those players got uh, extended or, you know, I guess a couple of the guys got that franchise tag. And even that was limited this year. Uh, but I, I think that's kind of what it boils down to. You know, you didn't have a lot of the guys, I guess, at the top of the draft now. Um, you know, the, a lot of this was tied in with, like, you know, Darnold becoming a free agent, Baker Mayfield becoming a free agent. And none of those guys panned out. You know, yeah. you have a year where it's Geno Smith and um, – Daniel Jones is like your your top guys and then they get locked up, you know, a day or two before free agency starts or the legal tampering, whatever you want to call that nonsense period starts. Um, you know, so it, it was just not a lot of players out there. And I, I think the other thing too that made it a lot less exciting is you didn't have at all any of like the skill positions. Like you didn't have any like was Not was even no one wide receivers. Receiver. Yeah, you know, for for as much as you know, I might have picked on the Christian Kirk contract, or the Galladay contract, and obviously Galladay didn't work out at all. That that turned out to be a historic, all-time bad signing. At the time, at least, that's kind of like a big deal. Um, you know, it, it was a, a big-name player, eighteen eighteen million a year, I think, is yeah. Kind of and the, he was like right was
0: right off the bat too. I mean, it was yeah. quick into free agency.
1: So you know, it, it's you didn't have that. Um, I, I think he, I would have been interested to see what would happen if the running backs had actually made it. Um, I, I think, you know, the Jones getting that deal done at the last second that made Barkley get tagged. I think that actually took out a pretty interesting storyline. I don't know what would have happened. My, my guess is he probably would have gotten the deal, but, uh, or at least, you know, would have gotten signed somewhere, but not like a big contract, but uh, you know, lo- losing him, that was a tough one. And you didn't. You didn't have any other guys, and you know there are a couple of players that are cut. And you get cut, and nobody really cares, um, you know, about those players. Like Ezekiel Elliott got cut. So putting out on Twitter, oh, he's choosing between his team. He's not choosing between <laughs> teams. like maybe there's a team that'll make him an offer, but he's not choosing. It's not like he's no. it's not like he's got this list of five teams and he's like, oh, I'm gonna choose which one I'm gonna go to. Um, <laughs> you know, like no, that, that's the no. kind of that's the his stuff agent's calling. His, agent, his calling those. <laughs> those are
0: the five teams that his agent's been calling and bugging.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, but it, I mean, yeah, it was just it was it was a quiet one, but. You know, with Houston specifically, I think they're, I mean, some of them, you know, we we calculate some, we we tabulate some of the re-signings as UFA signings. But if you pull all those in, I think Houston's up at around 16 or 17. No, they were at 14. Or every year. (laughs) And number one, once again, and I kind of wanted to get, you know, Nick just won't flat out answer the question of why one- and two-year deals. He's handed one three-year contract out in his now third offseason with Houston, and that was for a punter. Now, we're not talking extensions like Tunsil, you know, yeah. who got a three-year extension, but just straight-up free agency contracts. He's handed out nothing but one- and two-year deals. And he won't come out and just say why or what it is. I mean, it's just how they're valuing, how they're valuing their players, um, whether it's a, a commitment, maybe there's... I kind of wanted to get your opinion. Is it a, is it a, is there an injury protection standpoint that they're looking at this from? I mean, I know it's to be some of it's from, you know, if you're continuing to do this one year deals over and over, you can't play in the comp, the compensatory pick game more or less. If you're having to do this many signs over and over and over, but it gives you that roster adjustability, you know, year to year you can adjust quickly because you don't have that many, as many players under contract, but is there anything that I'm missing from a liability standpoint or some, some other angle that why Houston continues to just do one and two year deals? I don't think so. Um, Yeah. I mean, maybe you could look at them and say, okay, well, you're
1: being a little bit on the cheap side. You figure if you do a two year deal, maybe your guarantees aren't going to be as high as if you try and sign a guy for a three year deal. Um, But for the most part, I I was kind of thinking about this, like, because you see this year after year, like the first year you kind of understood why Houston was going in there and, you know, they just needed to fill up a roster. But this is every year now. I mean, it's like 16, 17, 18 players, short term contracts, cheap players. Um, You know, they had the most expensive this year is at Rankins. Yeah. Yeah. And he's what, like nine, five, something like that. that max, one year deal. max yeah. yeah. I think it max, ends up coming in a little bit yeah. lower than that. Okay, so I mean, they, they don't. It, it's all like the the one year. I don't even remember how many players it was, and it ended up averaging out to like oh. two point two million player. It was ridiculous.
0: Yeah, the first um, year was the quantity was, and then on an average per signing was just some ridiculous number. Like, but it's at least this year. I think the the tier level of signings has increased. Like the past two years, it's been scraping a little the barrel. Bit. Bargain, um, yeah, yeah, a little bit. I, I'm not saying it's a big I, jump, but I, I think the fans are acknowledging that they've been a little more aggressive in the type of players like Dalton Schultz, Sheldon Rankins. Yeah,
1: I, I think they, um, I, I think they might have benefited this year from the fact that the market was down overall, so you yes. didn't get those guys getting bid up, so that that allowed them to kind of, um, come in there. But I, I don't know. I kind of feel like he runs the team the way that New England ran the team for a long time. And new England was able to do that because they had a great coach. They had the great quarterback. Houston has neither of those, you know, Houston has a new coach every year. They should have a new quarterback every year, the way things have gone. So I, I don't know. It's like, that's, that that seems to be the way that they fill the team. Like, Oh, we've got these hard workers, you know, we, we've got, you know, Rex Burkhead coming in. I mean, that, that's not going to help you, um, you know, get anywhere, you know, even this year, like I, I don't really even get what they're doing at wide receiver. Um, you know, they, they bring in Robert Woods. Um, I know that's a nice veteran presence. Um, you know, uh, they call Brown. I yeah, mean, they, Brown, they're going the to probably have the slowest givers. you know. In uh, so. Yeah.
0: That's, that's been the biggest thing now is like, you know, whether it's, and I, I know you're not a big draft guy, but you know, a lot of people were talking about wide receiver in the draft for Houston. And I'm more of, you know, they need a burner, but I, I don't know that, wide receiver is going to be a big first round pick for them. But uh, yeah, I mean, they're going to shift around their wide receiver group. They, they moved Brandon cooks, which we'll we'll get into that here in a second, but I think this might be, I'm hoping, I'm hoping as a fan that this is the last year that we see these (laughs) large, large free agency groups, because this will be, now will be two years of big free uh, draft classes, you know, last year they made, I think like nine picks. They have 12 picks on the books this year. They probably won't make them all again. He'll trade up some. But you hope that now you've got two years into those draft picks. You're still going to maybe, maybe a third, maybe another free agency class before and you get a you know. But at some point, those draft classes should start maintaining the roster to where you're not having to go out and sign 18, 25 players in free agency every year
1: so yeah, hopefully that's
0: the goal is to build through the draft and it was it was a crappy situation for him to come into with the Watson situation Bill O'Brien and Jackie read left the salary cap and the roster just completely upside down and it took them you know so far two years to get out of that hole I think there was probably a slightly quicker path to get there but you know and they didn't have any cash concerns I mean they they're well above the the 90% spending for this going into this third year and they're going to be well above it now at this point. So, yeah, I mean I I understand your viewpoint. It's hard to know exactly what their goal is, but they they seem to have a little more instead of just signing a bunch of bunch of dudes hoping that two or three of them work out and we can end up re-signing them. They seem to have a more pointed approach with some of the players that they're signing with. You know, Jimmy Ward, Denzel Perryman, Sheldon Rakins, you know, Dalton Schultz, which kind of surprised me and it was interesting because the tight end market just completely fell apart. And you know, yeah. We're just gonna see how it goes. But is is there any outside of Houston, is there any teams just from a holistic standpoint, thirty thousand foot view that you liked what they did in free agency? And I know free agency is a crapshoot, but
1: here, I mean I, I think the Broncos did okay for themselves. Um, you know, I, I know they spent a lot of money, uh, but I think they, they spent on um, Certain positions that'll certainly at least attempt to help them on offense. You know that they, they try to solidify the offensive line. That's usually a little bit of a safer position. Um, I think Detroit. Some people. I, I don't know how Detroit's going to be as a team, but I, I thought they got some value um, on a couple of the players that they uh, they brought in. Um, other than that, not really. I mean, Atlanta. See, Atlanta's like an oddball team to me. Like Atlanta brought in players that'll probably get to eight and eight this year, and maybe that's good enough to make the playoffs in that division. Long term, what they did makes no sense at all. It's like a, a lot of old players uh, or older players that they brought in. Not guys that I had that kind of envision there for long term. Um, you know, those were kind of the teams that I, I think kind of stood out as kind of getting uh, better probably this year. Um, but you know, for the most part, again, it was just such a a weak
0: group. Like, eh, yeah, not much. Yeah. For what there was. Yeah. I think Detroit is definitely probably my, my biggest, my biggest favorite of what they did and some of what Cleveland did. Um, (laughs) it was interesting to see, uh, a 7 million per Uh, year safety get a double bonus. (laughs) Interesting.
1: Like, uh, so Cleveland is, yeah, Cleveland's a team whose defense, you know, you like some of those players that they added. The contract structures at some point, though, were just way out there. I mean, you're at the double option, quadruple yes. void year on a three-year exactly. deal for every single player. Yeah. It's not like one guy. It's a single player on the team. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if that strategy will work. I, I kind of think short-term it might. Only because you're going to have the salary cap rise. And I don't think the um, the salaries are going to rise. Not right away. No, there's yeah, a couple of ages right it. It's not going to happen that way. Yeah. So you can probably get away in a couple of those years with carrying that kind of dead money um, from those player contracts that void out. But once everything kind of catches up, I think you probably have to back off that kind of strategy but I guess we'll see it's uh, it's them and the Eagles kind of running that route. but it's Cleveland that uh, really went over the top with it this year.
0: Yeah, no, it, that Thornhill contract, I cause I ended up having to message you about it. I was like, this is two, two option bonuses in a, in this low level deal. Um, you know, and speaking of old years, so Houston, you know, they did it on the Sheldon Ranking Still, I feel like it's coming with the Dalton Shultons, the Dalton Schultz deal. Um, can can I explain, kind of break down what 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 are void years and what are they used for?
1: So you know, uh, I think the easiest way to think about a void year is year is just a, a kind of buy on credit. Um, you know, the salary cap. I mean, that, that's really what it is. You're just throwing some fake contract years in there uh, that are allowing you to dump salary cap charges based on the way the NFL is for signing bonus money, uh, kind of into these years that. You never really have any intention of having that player under contract. It's just automatically going to void. He's going to become a free agent, and you're just deferring that cost the next year. So when you, you're kind of on the cap, and I think Houston is still, they've been kind of tight on the cap, um, you know, it, it, it's okay to use. Um, I, I think when you use it sparingly or if you use it on the right positional players, I, I think it's perfectly fine to use. I think where you get into trouble is when you use it on every single player on the team. You've got multiple contracts hitting at the same time. You just get kind of leveraged out on doing extensions for the players um, because of the amount of money, dead money that it might give you uh, if you let certain players walk. So when you're talking about a one-year deal, two-year deal, it's probably not that big of a deal. When you're looking at someone like Dak Prescott on the Dallas Cowboys – they're completely leveraged out on that. Like he, he's basically just going to walk, he, he's going to walk into that office with a blank check and say, you know, sign me for 60, 65 million a year or else because of really what's gone on with that contract um, in the way they've structured it. So it, it'll be interesting to see if more teams do what Philadelphia does, where the, they're basically trying to get out of this by getting agents to agree to let, the, um, you know, let the team June 1 their player. Yeah. instead of having to cut them. Uh, I thought that was pretty unique by them. And I kind of suggested doing something like that, we're going to get rid of Carson Wentz and think there'd be a sucker to trade for him. And there'd be two suckers to trade for him. Um, wild, you know? Yeah. yeah I, I thought they were going to do something like that with that, with him. And then when they did those, bills, um, you know, for Alshon Jeffrey and the, that was a defensive tackle. I forget what it was. Yeah. Uh, Malik Jackson, maybe? I, I can't remember. Yeah, it was. It was, just, it was wow, I can't
0: believe those players agreed to it. And yeah, because you, you, have have to do it you have to do it before the end yeah. of the regular season.
1: Yeah. So you, you're basically telling them months in advance, look, you're gone. We, we have no intention of keeping you here. But it's really going to be a pain for our salary cap if we have to cut you like a normal cut. So can you just help us out by letting us June 1 you? And 20 years ago, that would have been a no, <laughs> that would have been a, you know, you know what negotiate my contract down. I'll be on the roster next year for 1.5 million guaranteed. And I'll sit on the bench and I'll be able to collect my one five. And now it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Why not? And I'm assuming that's just because the, the, the span of careers in the NFL is so short right now. So I, I think for the agents, it's more important to make sure you've got that really, really relationship with howie yeah. or you know whatever gm it is then probably doing what might necessarily be in the best interest one particular um client that you have just because there's so much churn on these rosters and you know you, you've got to deal with these gms and their their contract guys all the time and you know the player's career is very short so maybe they get a little sacrificed in there but it, it'll be neat to see if more teams pick up on that the only other team that's done it Really, is New Orleans? Um, yep. they, they've Got done it out of necessity at this point, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, Cle- Cleveland's used it, but Cleveland's done the the trick where they they just kind of use it ahead of time. Where it's almost like it's a just a void year in there. It's a little bit different than taking an existing contract and saying, "Please help us," um, you know, and getting them to do it. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see if more teams follow suit on that.
0: Yeah, and I I think void years are coming down the pipeline for Houston because, like you said, they're they're getting a little. Title on the cap and they are getting tight on the cap again because they have a very big projected draft class, you know, yeah. it, upwards of $20 million in cap space when using the the top 53 accounting for everything. And that's how the team views it. Cause I've heard Nick Casario say it on two or three different occasions that, you know, he's got a $20 million draft class assigned. So they, I mean, it's, I that's why I post my graphic the way I do, and it, it pulls kind of the same idea that you have, where you have the cap space and then an effective cap space, and it kind of puts things in perspective because people will see Houston's, oh, they get $25 million in cap space. Yeah, today, yes, they do, but is it really $25 million? No, because they have all these other things they need to account for in the next two or three months. So. I think boy years are coming and we'll have to, maybe we'll get some new updates tomorrow. I feel like the PA is probably done with their free agency reports. It seems like there hasn't been one for, yeah,
1: like I think so. Two, there, there. There, was, there was, again, there was no interest. <laughs> on yeah. Their end for, uh, yeah. And they've them already start started. There.
0: They've already started moving those contracts over into the system anyway. So that's mm-hmm. what made me think that they were, they were probably done. Um, so Houston did have a big signing though. Laramie Tunsil reset the market. Um, you know, twenty five million per year, and is interesting. You mentioned with Dak Prescott, he tunneled with the function of back to back restructures and having such a huge inflated cap number this year, had a ton of leverage to walk into that room. It's like either you are going to have to trade me, or you are going to have to extend me because you are not going to have an offensive tackle on your with a thirty five million dollar cap hit on your roster. I don't care what your composition is like, and so the team have been looking for moving towards that path, and it got done. Reset the, it. Reset the market on on many metrics. You know whether it's cash flows. I think, he had, I think the the Trent one of the other deals either Ronnie Stanley or, or Bakhtiari, or one of them's kind of fluffs with him. But once he gets in that third year, he starts really taking off. But uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that Laramie Tunsil situation? It's just kind of what you said. Um, you know, he he leveraged himself
1: into a situation. Really, you know, both times. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it on Twitter I said, you know, he's like the low key version of Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota vans didn't like that. They're, oh, you're always picking on Kirk. Cousins. I'm like, that's not picking on him. That, that's actually giving him, giving them a compliment, giving him a compliment for, you know, what he's been able to do. And it's that, that same kind of thing, you know, he used the leverage of getting traded there for all those picks, which was kind of a crazy trade, you know, to get that first contract that was just obscene, um, you know, at, at the time. And it was only a three-year deal, so you knew he was going to get re-upped again. And they had to restructure it because of all their cap issues that just made it easier and easier and easier for him. Where he can go in there and say, let's just do another three-year deal. And probably the same thing is going to happen three years from now, as long as he's healthy. Uh, you know, he could probably land himself one last contract that will reset the market. And, you know, that, that's, that's just incredibly impressive. Um, you know, from a player side, I think, to be able to pull that feed off. And I, I think, I don't think enough people look at those kind of situations. And I know it's different position to position, um, but I, I think you get too caught up sometimes in um, certain metrics on these deals, especially when it comes to guaranteed options and stuff like that. And it's like, if you're in a position where you're a top player and it's a position where you do play into your 30s, this is what you want to do as a player. You know, you, you want to get those deals that are three years in length to where you can just keep going and going and going, um, you know, kind of back pretty much every other year and going in there and saying, hey, redo this contract. Um, you know, and I, I think that kind of gets lost. People just focus on, oh, I can't believe he didn't get a fully guaranteed deal. Like, this guy's making a fortune it doesn't matter if uh Tunsil didn't get a fully guaranteed deal or whomever it might be. Um, you know, there's too much focus on that instead of the focus on how do you make the most money in, you know, this little finite amount of time that you have to actually play professional football.
0: Yeah. And he it's 60 million essentially guaranteed within 12 months of the deal. And once you get past, what would that be 2025 going into his last year, you're back like you said you're back at the table again you know looking for another extension so is it fully guaranteed at signing no but if you look at it from an overall scope and length of back-to-back contracts under those structures it's almost fully guaranteed effectively when you look at it that and that holistics viewpoint and i think he just like you said he played it perfectly he didn't let them add void years and mess with any of the numbers he just you know agreed they had you know, Houston puts automatic conversion rights in all their contracts. So, you know, they they did have to go sign new contracts, I think, just because they had to remove the uh, the language for... Uh, they they had, and I think he had de- the de-escalators in there in the beginning on his first contract. And I think it would have pulled it down below the, the P5 minimum and stuff like that after the restructure. So they had to sign new contracts. But he was very smart. You know, St. Omni and his group didn't add on void years or anything like that. It was just straight conversions. And he just put himself in a and I've been saying it on here for, for weeks and months. People who listen know that that he just leveraged the levers the team into a corner and he'll probably be able to do it again, like you said, in two more years. So
1: yeah. Uh, so, you know, more, great, more power to him.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's a beautiful situation for him. Um great job by his crew. I mean that 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 group of advisors, I think they did I think that was the same group who who helped uh, Roquan Smith. I think they've helped up a few other players and definitely seem to be uh anti NFL players association. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Hey, if if you find a way to make it work, you know, I'm all for it. And, you know, I don't really have a preference if they're certified, not certified, however it works, but you know, it's good. It's good to see that. And I, I've talked to a couple of those folks and they're, they're actually very, very nice, very nice folks. So, So, we'll we'll move it over to your neck of the woods with Aaron Rodgers and then Elijah Moore got traded today. And I kind of wanted – I saw a tweet, and I didn't quite get a chance to really digest it very much, but you were talking about playing with the numbers and seeing if Green Bay was going to take on some additional money. Kind of what – What were your thoughts on that tweet and just in the overall situation?
1: Yeah, I'm hoping to put something together on that uh, to flesh that out a little bit more,
0: but I I think, you know,
1: when you look at Roger's contract and you're basically paying him $60 million for this year, there's no commitment to play beyond this year. Um, There's really no long-term commitment at all. Uh, You know, even if he wanted to keep playing his contract effectively only runs one more season after this. So you know, it, you're looking at a position where the highest-paid player, uh, which Rogers right now, is valued at about you know 50 million dollars a year. In a sense, you're already underwater on a trade. You're paying 60 million dollars for a 50 million dollar player, and it's not like the market's going to change because his contract's so short. Like you, you can kind of yourself, like let's say he was signed for 50, and it let's say he was 32 years old instead of what he was 38, 39 when you, you can play five years, say, okay, well, he's signed right now for 50. Well, next year, the top guy will be 52. Then the next year is 55. Then it's going to be 57. No, now he's kind of a bargain price at 50 a year. You're just going in and doing a one-year deal for 60 million bucks. And so he, he's probably overpriced relative to the, the market itself. He's probably overpriced to really what he's going to give you on the field right now. Um, the only way that that works out is, is if you, you get the Super Bowl out of it. I mean, that that's realistically, that's the only way um, that that really makes any sense. As a fan, the Jets have been full for 10, 50, however many years it's been now, 13 years. Um, you know, as a fan, yeah, I'll, I'll trade in that one year. And if it's a wild card loss, I'd probably just take it for the next years of uh, whatever kind of paint it's going to be. But I I think that contract, the the money that's there this year or even over two years, there's just no value in that. You know, it's not like, you know, Russell Wilson's a bad example because Russell Wilson is terrible. Uh, I mean, he, he was just so bad last year. But at least if you looked at that, they brought in two old years on that contract that were, you know, 27 million, 28 million, something like that, that they could bake into a new deal. So in their mind, they're getting a. $49, $50 million player over the next four years for probably about $40 a year in investment. Yeah, plus you're going to save a little bit of money on the draft picks they give up and everything else. Um, You know, so that can lessen the blow a little bit of the draft picks that you give up. So you you can at least make a case, I think, for for those kind of trades. But I don't know, when you're talking about a guy that's under contract for a year at this kind of salary, I, I just can't see how... If you pull yourself back from like the just, you know, the, the fan that's in you, I, I can't see how you can look at that and s- this makes any kind of sense at all for a franchise to even be considering giving a high pick to bring on this contract and, and get these guys out of, uh, you know, really just, just a bad deal that they signed uh, when they got bullied by Rodgers over the last two, three years.
0: Yeah. So the, the Elijah Moore trade. And it was interesting because I saw Nick tweet about it and and kind of did APY just on the last two years of his deal compare and using the the draft the draft uh, trade tool that uh, we that y'all have on OTC, and they kind of aligned up. So and they lined up really right on the bat when you look at what was traded and look at and Moore's trade and the projected APY return on on the draft hit coming back. Do you think that was Green Bay telling New York? hey we need a draft pick in this area and they were able to find a piece to move it off and get that return back as to help facilitate the trade
1: yeah i i think so i i wouldn't be surprised if maybe one of the discussions the jets had with green bay was like hey do you want elijah moore they said no so they probably had to find a third team in there to uh get a pick that would be kind of range. Um, you know, Elijah Moore had fallen out of favor, I think, with the with the coaching staff last year. Um, they, they weren't using him. He blew up I forget which week it was, we started demanding a trade. And uh, you know, that that just I think made the situation probably worse. And I think they just looked at it like, okay, if we can get a pick, um, you know, it gives us a pick that maybe we can go to Green Bay with and we're gonna sell this as we flipped Elijah Moore for Aaron Rodgers I mean I, I think that's basically the what's going to be the end result of uh of all of it I don't think that um I don't think the Jets had any real thought like oh well we really need to upgrade a third rounder to a second rounder I think it's all just based on what Green Bay is talking about and the Jets just making sure they have you know some of those pieces to get it done
0: okay so and speaking on trades so one other thing I wanted to—it's kind of a segue into two points—and we'll, we'll we'll get to the second one here in a minute. But so Brandon Cooks was traded with Houston, and you know most of my listeners are very familiar with that situation and the and the information I've reported on it. But so they they took on six million, they got back a fifth this year, a sixth next year, and you know I'd kind of mentioned before the trade happened that. I felt like taking some money down from Cooks's guaranteed eighteen million dollars salary, in line with what the market was showing on signings. You know, we saw Lazard, Juju, Sister Smith, and Jacoby Myers were the three top wide receivers signed in free agency. You know, at eight, nine, ten million dollars a year, Cooks is probably around their level, maybe slightly better. So, if you can get that salary for this year at least to kind of commiserate with that value, and that's end up that's what ended up happening but are you surprised that the draft capital return was still day three picks while taking on that additional additional 6 million on, on their side, on Houston side? No,
1: cause it, it was still a lot that uh, Dallas was going to have to pay um, for cooks. And I, I'm going to assume that Houston did not know that cooks was going to redo that deal right away. I, I don't, I don't know that for a fact, obviously, but uh, you know, I, I think, Dallas could have sold this as like hey we're just getting this guy for a year because there's no way we're gonna have him next year for a year there's no way we're gonna pay him 18 million to be on the team next year or whatever his salary was um, yeah you know he took, pay- he took an eight million dollar
0: pay he took an eight million dollar pay cut in 2024 with the yeah, yeah. so
1: I, I I don't know if Houston knew he was gonna do that um because I think if the contract looked like that, I think they probably could have gotten something a little bit more. Um, for picking up the $6 million. But I, I think that that's, the, that's kind of the ballpark area if you're going to pick up that size of a contract. I think that's the ballpark as to, uh, you know, what you get back in, in return, like a fourth-round pick or, you know, in this case, a five and a six, I guess, the following year. Um, you know, I, I think it was fine for Houston. Um, it, it's like you can either pay six or you can pay, you know, the full 18 and have them just be completely unhappy. Um, yeah like last year. So I think this was better for him. You know, you, you save $12 million, you bring in a couple of draft picks. Um, but I think that, you know, it's one of those trades, probably a decent trade for both sides, um, you know, for, for where they're at. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I wasn't really surprised that they didn't get, you know, much more for him. Uh, I think these, when you get these guys that are, that are essentially on like a third con, you know, the, that third contract area, uh, you know, their career, um, I think the value just drops tremendously. Like you look at like Jalen Ramsey, um, you know, you look at some of those players, you know, once you're considered to be declining and you've got the, this game you know, the big money that's still attached to it. I think you just kind of start losing your value. Uh, when it comes to the trades.
0: Yeah. And he, I mean, he wanted out Houston was ready to move on. And so I think they were just more than willing to facilitate whatever they needed to do to, to get it done. And, you know, like you said, $12 million savings. That's one thing that I try to preach is, you know, at the end of the day, cash is king. Salary cap is just accounting of the cash you spend. And $12 million is $12 million. And that's that's cash and, that the team can reallocate elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's what you can spend. I mean, you can look at free agency and you can say, well, you know, they wouldn't have been able to get ranking than, you know, one other player, you know, choosing... Well, in their case, choose two players that are making like two million a year or something like that. Um, You know, that that's kind of getting rid of Brandon Cooks allows you to do two or three different things, um, you know, on the team. And so I I think that's a that's a net positive. But, you know, everybody gets focused on that player. Oh, I can't believe they're getting rid of, you know, so and so. And, you know, then the guy gets moved then the next year. You know, it's really ends up not being that big of a loss
0: it's a it's just a sore subject with fans especially with how things went down at the trade deadline <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna rehash that nonsense but uh it was there's a lot of crazy rumors with that one but with with that with the trade and draft picks you know brad and i we've got a running list of of instances where draft picks were basically essentially bought with cash um Trading, you know, trading draft picks for cash, like the Brock Osweiler deal from way back when, and you know, and so on and so forth. As these deals go through, it's weird that the league will allow that, but they won't allow, like we talked about the other day, with when uh, New Orleans was trying to facilitate with the third team with Jadavion Clowney a few years ago, where they were going to have him sign with another team, and then they send a second round pick or whatever to to buy out that contract off of that team and the, and the league basically stepped in and said no you can't trade cash do you have any thoughts on trading cash or draft picks and i mean it doesn't seem like there's any real correlation in value that we've been able to find yet i think we got like 14 or 15 examples and it seems to be driven just on that market situation the position value contract value so there's real haven't we haven't been able to come out and say fourth round pick is worth four and a half million dollars fifth round pick is this blah 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 but i feel like with the cap that's going to be continuing to grow over the next few years i wonder if that may see some of that more often than not i don't know it just kind of comes and goes and it just sneaks in and then you get two or three of them and then you don't see it for another two years
1: yeah I, i think that's a it's a tough one um you know only because kind of when you get to some of these trades um sometimes you still get hung up like well there is still some value in this player how much that value is who knows and so sometimes it's hard to separate the fact that there is a little bit of value and then there's a lot of value in the money that's being uh you know picked up von miller um last year and there two years ago i guess was that trade yeah two years and yeah yeah, you know and that ended up being what a a two and a three and it's almost like how do you separate out, like, there's a value that you're trading for the player. Maybe that's the three. Was the money worth the two? Was the player worth the two? The money worth the three? You know, and when you get players like that, it becomes pretty hard. Uh, you know, Osweiler, that one was a straighter one, though. I, I think Cleveland thought they could flip him. Uh, and yeah, so I think they tried. Cleveland yeah. completely misjudged what that was. Um, you know, I, probably the, the biggest one that was just a – for a draft pick was uh was that Talib when he was on IR? I
0: think he got yeah, Talib uh, four and a half Rams football. to and, Miami. Yeah, they they got a fifth, fifth round rounder, pick? and they they for... got Talib in a seventh for a fifth rounder on four to four to point two million dollars in cash. I've got my list pulled up now.
1: Yeah, and, so I mean, to me, that was the most pure. Like this guy has no value anymore as a football player. Like he's yeah. he's done that is that is like the most that that's the easiest one to look at and say okay this amount of money should give you this if we you know if you're tracking this stuff and you're trying to uh you know come up with any any kind of you know any any kind of theories as to to how it might work um but I, some of the other ones you know it's kind of hard to untangle it's like the Jared Goff you know the the part with Matt Stafford everyone's like oh they gave two first round picks for Matt Stafford no they didn't give two first round picks for Matt Stafford maybe they gave one there, there's a value in there to those, to those guys taking on that money that the Rams didn't want to eat. They, they couldn't get rid of it. Um, so, you know, it, it just hard with those trades to kind of figure that part out as to, you know, what was the value of the player, um, you know, and then what value of the cash. And then, you know, how does it come up? With it. So we, I think we need to see more, more ones like that to one where it's just strictly guys who can't play anymore. And okay. it's just like, okay, you, you're picking up the guaranteed salary for this player. What is that worth? Um, you know, I,
0: I think you need more of that. And then okay. you could start to get more of an idea. Yeah. Cause I think most of the other ones I have on my list, like when Houston traded Clowney to Seattle and it was basically a $14 million year, but Houston took on 7 million yep. and ended up getting a third round for it. But there was still some value with Clowney at the time. And I've got, yeah, you know, probably I think about fourteen on this list. But like you said, that, that's a great point. And that's something Brad and I need to talk a little bit further about that. That to leave one because he was on IR. You know, or I can't remember what list he was on at the time. Was definitely not a player that was going to be playing. That was just straight up purchase of a draft pick. Yeah, so have to have to keep tracking it. See if we can get some more data on that. Maybe in a few more years, we'll we'll have more data on on that and can maybe derive something from it. I'm not sure we'll, we'll ever be able to, cause it's just, like you said, every situation is different. We should know, just the let you trade cap space. I don't really understand. Yeah. That I would love. I've buddy. of mine have mentioned that multiple times and I don't, that would just be fascinating to me that I,
1: if I don't know why they know, don't do it. it, it doesn't make any sense. Like they, even the part talked about before with the, uh, you know, the facilitating assigning, like I, I, I still don't understand how they block that. Like, I, I don't see I not see any rules that would prevent it from happening. And we've seen players traded that first year that they sign. So I, I, I don't really get, um, you know, why that would be the case unless it was just literally like I'm going to sign and trade you the next day. Um, only because I, I know with like all these rules with roster bonuses and all that, they want to see like a 72 hour waiting period or a, uh, maybe it's a five day waiting period or something like that yeah. to where they consider it like signing bonus. Like they consider it guaranteed or something at that point. Yeah. Um, so it may, maybe, you know, something like that, but I, I can't really see why um, you can't do that as long as the player agrees to it. Now I, I could see if it's a situation where, um, you know the player doesn't agree to it, but to me that's more of a player's association issue with something that you would collectively bargain. Um, you know, where you would have that discussion over the point of like, okay, you can only trade a free agent if the free agent agrees to be traded. You know, and they they have those that those type of rules in there for um you know players who've been franchise tagged and you know offer is matched and that kind of stuff. So I would think it'd be pretty easy to put that same thing in there about a, just a standard free agent. And then that allows you to do that. Like, okay, we're going to pay his signing bonus. And then you go to the team you want to go to. Um, yeah. So that hopefully yeah. someone will actually test it versus just asking them. So yeah. next time they just, just go and do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. see what Do it, it and let and see it, and
0: see if management council yeah. signs off on it. Yeah. That's definitely, I am all for it. Maybe somebody will do it. Um one thing I wanted to ask you about change of subjects here. So the draft chart values, and, you know, I have like, I think I like nine of them now, but I, you know, I, use, <laughs> there's so many of them, but so I usually would reference Rich Hills who's who I like. And then I know the Jimmy Johnson one is outdated, but that's still a valid point to look at. And then yours and Brad's. And the numbers always come up a little bit higher a little bit different scale with yours compared to Rich Hill's and, and Jimmy Johnson's or PFF or anybody else. Can you explain to me why that is? It seems like it seems to have more value in this in the day two, day three pick area. And there's not not yeah, as much when, of a decay as compared to some of the other charts.
1: Yeah. When, uh, when we calculated everything um, and you know, it, what we did was all based on raw data. It's all based on the contracts that players signed after the rookie deal expired. Um, so when you actually see what those seventh rounders in general sign for sixth rounders, fifth rounders, and then you go all the way up to the first round and you see how many first rounders, I don't know, flop is the right word, but, you know, certainly don't live up to that, that billing and start kind of plotting these things out. You'll see that that, that very steep decline that's there from Jimmy Johnson's chart, um, really doesn't exist in the NFL. You know, it, it's, it's nowhere near, um that exponential decay that his has which basically you've got incredible value in like the first seven picks and maybe 10 through 15 and then it's as if the rest of the league you know the rest of the draft is terrible um you know so that's really the main reason why and i know the uh, hill chart that's really just based on what the actual you know returns have been um You know, on these trades. And I I think that, you know, still that Jimmy Johnson trade chart is probably a big framework that's used and it gets adjusted up and down a little bit, which is how you get the Rich Hill chart. And I I think that's why that's probably pretty valid for probably seeing how these trades actually come down Um, in terms of value. Yeah, you know, the, the trading down a couple spots you know, and picking up extra picks. I mean, it, you should just think about it logically. I mean, it's a no brainer. I mean, it, when you, when you get into these drafts, you know, just talking about top of the draft and you go through all the 8 million different mock drafts that are out there and, you know, all these different player rankings and everything else, there's a lot of guys who one, one group is going to have is like the fourth best player. Another group is going to have that guy as the 10th best player. Those guys are all going to be available and kind of like that similar range of pick. So if you can drop from four to eight, four to nine, and you pick up that extra pick somewhere, you know you're probably going to get almost the same quality player as you would at number four. You just don't get as many guys to kind of choose from. And you know even even when we look historically at some of these great players like Aaron Donald, the top chip uh, pick enough. No, it was J.J. Watt the top pick in the draft, no. You know all these guys that have had these great careers. You know, often, you know, it, it, it's not the top pick. Now, it, it's different if you have a quarterback who's sitting there, um, you know, to get picked number one. Number two, uh, that's obviously a lot more valuable at that point because those guys do not available anywhere else in the draft. But, you know, th- there's just a lot of good talent um, in the back end of that draft for, you know, filling out the depth of teams. And, you know, these guys that go into free agency and do sign these deals that are worth, you know, two million dollars, two point five million, uh, three million, you know, there's value in that. You know, even if they're just sticking in on a minimum salary, there's value in that. But the, the Johnson charts kind of just treat those as throwaway picks as if there is just there's no difference between that and the UDFA pool. Um, you know, and I, I don't uh really been the case at all, you know, historically when you start looking at the um success of the draft. Now, maybe it was different when they put that chart together. Um you know the league was very different back then. Um you know I think at that point in time it was probably a little bit harder sometimes for some of the younger guys to break in uh because the coaches really love, you know, some of these veterans that were there for a long period of time. But now, you know, you you churn through the veterans and you just try out all these guys that you get drafted and they get a lot more opportunities I think to at least prove that they can play.
0: Yeah, and at the end of the day, you end up generating a lot of value from those type of players, especially round two, round three, I think is where teams can really create a ton of value for their roster for the, you know, not only for the rookie deal, but just even the rookie contracts themselves, the value, the the dollar value on it has such yeah. a strong decay once you get past the first like five picks, that pick like eighteen through seventy five is where a team can really, really, really find almost surplus value on on those players if they hit those draft picks so yeah
1: the uh, the the rookie scale basically follows that jay johnson short yeah, um, yeah the, design, the signing bonuses that were there that's basically what they followed and uh yeah. it, it led to yeah those big declines it's like you have a guy at 32 and i know teams go crazy about having that option year. it's like I have a guy at 32 i could pay millions less for the guy at 33 is there a difference between 32 and 33 and performance no you know, it's basically the same same players yeah you get them way cheaper
0: yeah, that with the way the fifth-year option is now under the new CBA, I don't know that teams are going to be quite as willing to jump up into that top 32 or top 31 this year um, to get a player to ensure you get that fifth-year option. I don't know it, if...
1: It's probably f- only worth it if it's a quarterback. It's yeah. probably the only position where it's worth it to uh, to have that fifth-year where you just keep your fingers crossed and you pick it up.
0: yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I think that's about all I had. Um, you just thought you make a decision on your tw- your Twitter two-factor authentication?
1: I, I did sign up for the blue. Uh, that was oh my, my no, I was going to say. I did, I did to, to keep it. And then of course, after I did that, I got an email from somebody telling me how you can do it without signing up for it. So now I have to see if there's anything useful Uh, with twitter blue so the only thing i found useful i don't even know if it's useful there's like a delay to sending my tweet out so i can run in and edit them and i I guess there actually is time like maybe you can edit them for like an hour or something like that i don't know i haven't uh i'll keep my uh my spelling errors and stuff probably and then i won't pick them up to edit them but i'll see if there's anything useful for my 80 bucks or whatever i just paid to uh elon (laughs) musk to uh to keep twitter going
0: yeah because like if you have an iphone it in your passwords and your keychain, it'll actually do the 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 code for you, and you can do it that way without having to use a two fact the the text message two factor. And it's you know it's a, they, they find ways. So it's funny. So Brooks Cabina, who works for the Houston Chronicle here in Houston, he, his account got hacked about three weeks ago, and it was a Bitcoin person, and <laughs> it was a Bitcoin avatar, Digi something or whatever, and and but. He had I was texting with him about it of what happened, and the person who hacked his account actually was texting him from a number that looked like Twitter support. And so basically they were trying to reset his his account. They were texting him the security messages, and it looked like it was come from Twitter. So he thought it was his two-factor authentication. He's answering the questions. And then that's how they got into his account faking his authentication as a as a text message, and I was like, "That's pretty clever." I mean, it, yeah, that, you that know, it's creative. You know, yeah, they, I mean, uh, it's, you think of hacking as like there's all this crazy code. No, no, they're just social engineering to get into your accounts, and so yeah, that's pretty just, good.
1: But, but uh, he finally know, got it. I, did,
0: I, g- I gave in. Oh, oh man! You, now I get to say, "Oh, you bought a blue check
1: mark." I do. I, I do. I guess at some point it's going to say, "Uh, it'll say that," right? I, I don't know. I think it still says a legacy verified account oh, right okay. now. Maybe it'll. I say think that that's again. what it says. So, but yeah, if they get change. if they get
0: some more more benefits to it, I mean, other than having additional character length and and editing tweets because I have typos left and right. And I get mad at myself when I see them, but um, then I would consider paying for it. But today it's just, I don't see the, for as many other subscriptions and things I pay for, I've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's like so, this, yeah, is this is a bridge too. It's a bridge too far. I can't yeah. pay for this.
1: So uh, I'm I'm one of the suckers. So I'll give some feedback on if it's uh, useful at all. My guess is okay. it will not be. But uh, at least for the time being,
0: I, I, I can keep uh, two factor authentication there for a all little right. bit. Of time. Good. So hopefully, hopefully Jason's account doesn't get messed with again. Uh, it's been a long time since that happened to you. I've been fortunate enough. Yeah, that was
1: that was like 2013, 2014. I, I don't even remember. It was it was a long, long time ago, and uh, I can still remember when I logged in, and or when I when I saw my the, my profile, and it was uh, all Arabic, I think, and uh, yeah, who knows what it was about. But their stuff was so bad then. I, I guess just their security in general. Just went to another computer. I, I guess I had never closed it. The, a tab. Oh, you it, were still that.
0: like cached login. And so <laughs> it just
1: let me go back in. <laughs> it was like, all right, I'll change my password. I'll put my profile picture back, and I'll kick this guy off from it. And uh, that was how I got back in because Twitter support was pretty much awful back then. I'm sure it's even worse now. Uh, oh, it's um, you know to try and get your accounts back when what that stuff uh, so, happens.
0: So Brooks, he he, after like two weeks, he got his account back but he could not change the screen name, not your Twitter handle, but the screen name or his avatar for like another two weeks. So you you see these tweets about football stories and his articles and, and breaking news and all this stuff. And it's a Bitcoin uh, avatar (laughs) saying Digicon something. (laughs) So we picked on him forever about it. And then he finally got it changed back. Like, I don't know, like a week ago. We're like, no, Digi's dead. No, it's yeah, just, it's, uh, but he he said it was like they wouldn't let him, like he had to submit like all these things to like twitter support to prove that it was his account like pitcher and all this stuff and it was just it was just wild and i'm like i would just give it up the account at that point but i understand he has a big following and all that stuff but I just yeah don't, it's I tough don't to rebuild to that, that kind of
1: stuff so uh yeah. but yeah so for me it was easy because Twitter was just so bad, I guess, back then with the security stuff that it was, uh, I guess, easy to get hacked. But if you were lucky to just never turn certain things off on your computer, you can factor yourself right back in and take it back. Um.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, You got time for one question? Yeah, sure. So, unexpected truth who listens to the show religiously is dead cap, the end all be all, like, is there a way to spread out the damage or team just has to eat it? Well, eventually I mean, it's it's eat it. it it's um, a sunk cost. It's just how you can get it allocated across the yeah.
1: I mean, if you look at so I, I ran a study on this a couple of years ago. Um, basically, taking on dead money is a good thing, right? Because if you have dead money, it means you you took some risks at least in what you were doing. Because you can take risks to build a football. You you can't just be what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did for years or what the Raiders were try to do for years where, you know, you use no signing bonuses. And it's like, well, we never have dead money. It's like you had dead money. It was just burying built. all that active salary that you had yeah, for the players that. that you yeah. cut. So instead of being able to maximize your roster in those years, so you could, you know, wave your hands and say no dead money. Um, you know you you probably weren't able to sign one two or players the problem is when you get into those excessive levels of dead money um which these days i don't know if that means like 50 million a year i'd I'd have to see where that's relative to the cap right now but there is a point where it does become prohibitive um you know for you to build a competitive team and some of that, and this this is one of the hard things of parsing through that data, though, too, is that some of those teams did that intentionally. Like, you, you go back and team like the Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins took a roster that was not good. I mean, it was probably like a six-win kind of roster, and they were like, we're just going to rip the Band-Aid off. It, that's a little bit different um, than, say, the Saints, who just carry a lot of dead money from, you know, the way that they structure their stuff. So, you know, it, it's... It's a little bit hard to go through that way, but the things that take a bunch of dead money and they think it's going to, you know, reset the clock and get them in better shape, it usually doesn't work at all. Um, that that's that's one of the things that I found. Um, you know, the only teams that got through that were the Buffalo Bills, uh, you know, and they they were they were getting through it even before Josh Allen turned into a good quarterback. So I, I can't say it's just because of that. And the other one is the Saints who. You know, really got through it because they had that one draft class. It was awesome. Yeah, and, uh, was that 2017? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was how they finally got through it. After they went, I think they went. They had so much dead money for three year period, equaled the unadjusted cap for one full. Year. <laughs> That's how much took on? And they had structured their deals and the the contracts they had done that was the era of like the uh, Gyrus Bird signing, Junior yeah. Gallette. You know, they're just just didn't work out that stuff. Uh, uh, Colby Fleener, I think, was on those teams. I mean, it Gosh, was just Kobe a... Fleener. Yeah, it, it was just one bad deal after another. And n- nothing nothing of the bad deals ended up working out good. Sometimes those deals don't look that bad. The players work out. In <laughs> their case, even ones that look good did out. And uh, yeah, they, they just got uh, messed up.
0: Yeah, and, and to put a bow tie on it, I mean, there in certain cases, there are ways to, to spread out those cap and like we kind of mentioned it in the beginning, how Philadelphia can do that under certain situations with the June one or things like that. But it it's a sunk cost. It's coming due at some point. It's just sometimes you can build your contract structure to spread it out, and sometimes it's just going to come all in one one bill. It's just yeah. coming one way or another, and there's no way of getting out of it. It's just how you can get it allocated across your your salary cap over x number of years, and I need to go back and look because I think I remember you wrote an article looking at dead money and and playoff success or or reaching the play or the percentages of reaching the playoffs or things like that. But, you know, I think like this year, I think 15% of your cap of being dead money is around 33. So I think usually that 15 to 20% number is a a decent ballpark at the end of the day of a a dead money percentage that's not overly excessive but shows that, like you said, it – you're, you're taking some chances and every, not everything's going to work out. Like I said, in the very beginning free agency is a crap shoot. So very rarely do you get that return on that investment. Very rarely do they extend out more than one or two years. And Hey, maybe that's why Houston does one or two year deals. Cause free H deals rarely, rarely last that long. They're not, uh, not Jonathan Joseph where they turn into nine years of, of excellent service. So, um, I think that's about all I had tonight, Jason. I really appreciate the time. Um, I enjoyed the conversation, and uh, hopefully things will start calming down here fairly soon, and then we'll get ramped back up for the draft. And uh, you know, if you don't, if you you're not following, a little Jason, summer break, <laughs> yeah, now summer break will be the good time. Um, try to, I'll try to get away myself as well. Um, if you're not following Jason, it's at Jason underscore OTC. The website is overthecap dot com. And um, Jason, I appreciate it, sir.
1: Uh, Anytime, man. All
0: right. All right. Well, everybody, make sure you hit subscribe. Make sure you like, do all those wonderful things. Helps the algorithm. I promise I wouldn't say that word again, but I said it. So, everybody, have a good evening. And with that, we will shut it down. Thank you.